This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. Happy New Year and welcome to the season five premiere of the Blacksit Global podcast. I am thrilled to be back on the mic. This season, I'm kicking it off in a different way. I want to focus on how to get the money you need to move abroad. Yes, the money. I have invited Kirsten and Julian Saunders, hosts of the Rich and Regular podcast and authors of the book, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away, on to Blacksit Global to talk about their book and the framework to help you get your money right. Be sure to check the show notes for this episode where you'll find a link to their book and be sure to grab their ebook, Eat Better on a Budget, a complete guide to cooking at home. Enjoy the episode. When you get squeezed, it's like, all right, well, I'm only going to take this for so long, right? That's the, that is the origins of a lot of our families, not saying all of them. But I think what we're seeing now is kind of the benefit and the side effect of a global economy and internet where it's like, all right, you're just going to squeeze me out the country. <laughs> well, let me see what else is out here in the world. And that's actually such an expansive way of thinking about our time here on this floating rock. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. Julian and Kirsten Saunders are the creators of Rich and Regular and the authors of the book, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. And I am so excited to welcome them to the Blacksit Global podcast. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. You both have an interesting story, what you have done to really further knowledge and education around financial wellness and the familial issues that we deal with in the cultural context as uh, Black people in this here world. What I wanted to do is really start with your individual origin stories my name's Julian, as you said. Um, I am a product of 1980s Brooklyn, New York, born to Jamaican parents. I'm pretty sure anyone who's from Brooklyn right now knows I specifically mean Flatbush because that's where all the Jamaicans are. That was home. I moved 
uh, to the Atlanta area in the late 90s, like a bunch of other folks. I want to say just a little bit after the Olympics. And so um, I'm a little bit of a cross between an apple and a peach at this point. I've now been in the Atlanta area longer than I've been in New York. Let's see. Professionally, I used to work as a lot of things, but I kind of started in the hospitality industry uh, working as a chef. I transitioned from that to pretty much working every role you can think of in a restaurant and or hotel Um, until finishing grad school and then jumping onto the corporate side of things. Um, And I got that good job with that big big pay bump. And uh, on day one uh, at orientation, I looked over and there was this girl in the room and it was a little hard for me to focus on being day one because she was looking back at me and it was was a little awkward. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much my story. (laughs) Skipping over some details, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, my story is kind of the opposite. I was born in Texas, and this was the time George, the original Bush, was not president yet, but he was campaigning when I was a little girl. So deeply Texas pride. I'm not a Republican, but (laughs) from the state perspective, there was a lot of pride in Texas. And then when I was a little girl, we moved to Atlanta for my dad's job. And that was the first time I was kind of immersed in true, true Black culture, Black government officials, a Black middle class that was thriving. And my parents were a part of that. They were two corporate employees. And so we had a home here. We grew up going to church and different events. And I really, as a little girl, saw money being used as a tool to bring people together. That was the example that my mother set for me. We would travel, we would go see our family, we would bring family to Atlanta. And I also saw Black people in leadership positions and Black families in really upwardly mobile economic situations. And so that kind of shaped my mindset, which led to a lot, I'm sure we'll get into this, but led to a lot of consumer debt and and overspending, trying to keep up with the Joneses. But to Julian's point, we got that big job at the same time. Before that, I was working in retail. I was one of the assistant managers at a big box retailer. I guess I can say it, Target. I was working at Target. I had worked in retail all through high school and through college. And then when I graduated, I, I joined Target full-time. But when I moved to Atlanta, I was starting this big job that was, you know, game changing income. And I met Julian, who had this very different set of background and baggage than me. And so (laughs) when we met, that's kind of when the story, the story really got interesting because we were both bringing strong perspectives to the table. So let's talk about those strong perspectives, because you two ended up at the same place, the big job, the planets aligned and two worlds collided. But to your story, you have different backgrounds, origin stories, relationships with money, familial relationships. And so... And Kirsten, you talked a little bit about like your spending habits and then Julian. And I know, you know, you came from a place of being more conservative with money. And so how was it when you both realized like, hey, you know, we have very different ideas about money, but there's this undercurrent, which is stronger, right? Your love for one another. So how did you both get to a place of being able to respect each other's money language, but also chart a path forward? 
I would say a lot of trial and error. You know, for me, it was it was like trying to get over some of the things that really kind of triggered me. And so I, I, I'm not going to lie. You know, even when she says baggage, like she's not, you know, exaggerating as much as it's things like. But I had a lot of baggage, a lot of trauma, if you will, as it relates to just being raised and living on the edge. And then even when, you know, we came to Atlanta, you know, we were on food stamps when we were here. And um, even after, I mean, I'm bought my home in 2007 and then the, you know, the market crashed and it lost half its value. And I was going to school and working two jobs trying to get by. And so I had pretty much lived 30 plus years, like in constant, constant um, sort of fear that one strong gust of wind was going to blow it all away. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be compounded by just bad luck and my mom getting older and not necessarily being as employable or ever being a high earner. Like she was always, you know, a secretary for the most part. And so like, I've always just been in fear of that. And so when you meet someone who's willing to, you know, put extra cheese on everything, like it ain't nothing <laughs> or, you know, willing to just hop on a flight to go somewhere, like it ain't nothing. And granted we were doing well, but I was like, this is the first time I'd ever seen this kind of money. And so I was clutching to it tightly. I also knew that what I felt was was real and strong. And I knew that, um, you know, I just also had to have confidence in my own abilities. Right. And so it's, you know, I, I was smart enough and wise enough to know that, like, yeah, you're going to choose to either live your life in fear or you're going to be willing to have some some fun. And so in a lot of ways, I taught her how to save, but she taught me how to live, how to spend a little bit. And um, we've been kind of striking that balance ever since. That's fantastic. It's definitely, you know, inspiring to hear that you respected where each other was on the journey and then what contributed to it, but also figuring out a way to kind of move forward. It's interesting for me to hear you talk about it, Julian, you know, when you think about like money and, you know, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've had this much money, especially since that's very familiar for me growing up in the city and whether it was the government cheese line and seeing your whole class there, you know, or, you know, things that I've had to deal with in adulthood is that there's this desire to like hold on. And especially if you've been reared in a way that it's like, oh, you know, put your money in the bank. Right. And so it's in a bank. It's not in the market. Right. And the reason why I say this is many of the people that listen to the show or who are in our extended community who are planning their Blacksit, they've grown up in that way where they've thought about saving. I'm either saving or I'm spending, but investing feels like it's overwhelming, too much information, what those other people do, not as accessible. And so how did you both get from the saving aspect? Because, you know, Kirsten said, hey, I was like extra cheese size. <laughs> <Yeah. Black>. <laughs> Two <laughs> double meat, please. Exactly. <laughs> to, to taking that cheddar and saying, okay, I'm going to put this in an index fund, right? How do you get from there to there? I think the path was different for both of us, but I, I do want to double click on what you're saying because we heard this all summer during our book tour. We talked to hundreds of Black professionals, some of the smartest people in their industry and outside of it. Like We believe in, in the intelligence of our people, but there's still this underlying kind of uh, belief that saving is something that I do, but investing is something that's done for me, mm-hmm. that somebody else does. And it's not like we we are working hard to 
to bust that myth that like, no, investing is something that you can do for yourself at any point. You don't need an employer sponsored 401k. You do not need a financial advisor. Technology has changed. It's absolutely something that you can do for yourself. But for me, the awakening came from Julian, honestly, because although I had seen all of this affluence, if you want to call it that, all of this middle-class lifestyle growing up, I still believe that I had all the time in the world to invest. I believe that I needed way more money than I actually had. And like when I became a VP, that would be the time that I would invest. That was my logic at the time. And when I would share that with Julian, who at the same time had aspirations of being a real estate investor, you know, he was building his scaffolding and his safety net for all of his fears and concerns that he had about his mother, about his money. And so when I would share my plan, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to invest when I'm like 50 <laughs> with him, he would react in the way that, you know, you New Yorkers react very blunt, <laughs> like very sharp. And he made me literally look up the org charts of not just the company that we worked for, but any company that I thought I could work for Coca Cola, Delta, Chick fil A, UPS, all these headquarters in Atlanta. He made me pull up the org charts and say, now, wh- where do you see somebody who looks like you? Like, literally, why do you think that's such a solid plan? Why do you think that you will be the one? who achieves this. You don't think there are people who are smarter and more experienced than you. And it wasn't to like break me down. It was really to make me think about the flaws in my assumptions. I was operating under this idea of safe assumptions. And he was telling me like this bubble of safety that you think you're in is not real. (laughs) You have to have a plan outside of corporate America constantly advancing you through the ranks because that isn't the case for us. I had believed the myth that you're told go to good school, you get a good job, you work hard and you you keep getting promoted. And it's like, nah, that's that's not true. Like he fortunately he's a little older than me. So he could he could say that out of love. And it was the first time I had heard it. My parents hadn't told me that yet. And I didn't have the kind of role models who were willing to tell me that truth, but it was something that I needed to hear. And that's what jump started my investing. If I had to work, then my money did too. And so that's what made me finally log into the 401k and and start contributing and start learning more about financial literacy beyond just what money could buy for me. Because I think for so many people, myself included, you think your future self is, oh, I've got time, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do all these things. And I think to a large extent that a lot of people are confronting themselves with these realities is they thought that, oh, this education, this dream job, this zip code is going to insulate me from all of the realities that we as Black people face in America primarily, right? We deal with microaggressions, whether they be in a corporate environment or other environment. We deal with lethal racism. We deal with systemic racism. We deal with so many things like the Black tax. And so how do we get to a place where we're able to say, hey, yes, while we might aspire to get to a certain point, it's not to say you can't have dreams and aspirations, 
but the way in which we're going about it is not going to get and yield the results that we want. And that's what I loved so much about in your book, you know, the 15 year framework, it really was able to contextualize. This is the blueprint that you can use to free yourself, to give yourself space. And so I would love it if we could spend a few minutes talking about that, because I think it's really, really impactful. Yeah. So the 15-year career is basically our kind of guide to help a lot of us deal with the rig system, right? And so, and by rig system, I really mean the act of being an employee. And, and I don't say that to insult anyone who is an employee, but the reality is every single one of us are narrowly defining what a successful career looks like. We're defining it as getting the big job or continuing to get the big job, continuing to climb up this ladder, uh, getting the corner office. And, and that's actually not what success looks like for the vast majority of people. And, and we're sort of outlining that in our book, but more specifically in that chapter and showing them that success actually looks like being able to walk away from it all without it having this detrimental impact on your quality of life or your family, which obviously means that you're going to have to manage your money and your time a little differently. And so we offer people a bit of a blueprint, which is to say for the first five years of your career, and by the way, this could be for people who are starting out or people who may find themselves in the middle, but are a bit lost, right? You could be in your 30s and say, all right, well, here's what we're going to do starting today. Or you may even say, you know what? I actually think I'm already on the path. I didn't even realize that I am. I'm already at year six. But it's it's basically broken up in thirds. And the first part is to live drastically below your means. It is to say, listen, if I make 100,000, I'm going to commit on living on 60 or 70, right? And yeah, that might mean you're going to be a, a little bit uncomfortable, but if you have a partner, it's significantly easier to do that, right? Married couples um, who are, especially if they're both high earning, it's certainly a lot easier to live on less than your total combined income. And, and you're doing that to pay down any debt that you have or go ahead and get a jump start on your investments. You're yeah. not doing that just for you know, shits and giggles. Like yeah. You're doing it for a very specific purpose. Yeah. It's about building a, a bit of a ramp or just like a little wiggle rooms that you can afford to uh, take some risk. The second part of your 15-year career, again, we're talking about presumably years six through 10. At this point, your debt is essentially removed or drastically reduced. Um, and now it's about trying to optimize and grow your income. And that does not always mean getting another job. Sometimes that means figuring out what your superpower is, what that thing or those things are that you do very well, very naturally, that just so happen to have a marketplace that you might be able to use to earn extra income. Um, and using that time period to really build and develop and hone those skill sets while also investing um, along the way. So now you've got five years under your belt, you're investing consistently and you're investing yourself. You're coming out at this 10-year mark with presumably zero debt, having five years of consistent investments ahead of you, a steady job, and these new shiny skill sets that you can use to either advance in your career and or build uh, some type of side hustle, micro enterprise business, or whatever it is that you want to do. And then the fun really begins in year 11, right? This is where you're, you're, you've built up the confidence, you've got a cushion, uh, you've got momentum behind you and you're continuing to invest. But now you're really taking those skill sets and putting it out there and putting a price on all of the skills that you've developed and, and really putting it out there in the marketplace, earning that income, reinvesting it in yourself and or reinvesting it in the market. So when you hit the end of this 15 year period, 
you're debt free. You've got a decade of investing compounding behind you. You've got a strong track record at work. You can continue if you want to keep going, if you just happen to believe that you actually do have a shot at getting to that next level. But I think most importantly, you've earned yourself a break. You've earned yourself an opportunity to say, you know what, I've got 15 years behind me. I can afford to take risks. I can afford to travel the world. I can afford to invest in my family. I can afford to invest in myself or I can afford to bet on myself and say, you know what? The path for me is not within corporate America. The path is outside of it. And I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start a business or I'm going to do something like that. And, And that's really important because so many of us, I think like really conflate income with like wages and salary, right? Like we don't think about the broader set of opportunities that can allow us to earn income coming in. And because of that, we don't know or understand what that process feels like. You know, you got a lot of people who, and I'm sure listening today are going to say, well, everybody can't be an entrepreneur. And it's because so many of us like are thinking so big all the time. Like we're thinking when I say entrepreneur, it's like, I'm asking you to launch um, the next Facebook or Meta or Google. And it's like, dude, you can be like a pretty bad photographer and earn like an extra $10,000 a year, which is more than enough to max out a Roth IRA, which solves the problem. You know what I mean? And so that's pretty much what the 15-year career is designed to do, is to get people to a point where they can comfortably bet on themselves and drastically improve their quality of life. I love that. And that's that's what you both did in your respective journeys. And uh, you're right. It's like people think that everything has to be microwave, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, entrepreneur, I have this six and seven figure business because I saw it on Instagram, not realizing much like TV, most of what you see is not real. <laughs> right? Like, Go look at the Department of Labor Statistics. Mm-hmm. There are a couple hundred businesses, maybe a couple thousand that make a ton of money every year. Most businesses are making enough to get by and like, that's fine. That's a fine pursuit. Absolutely. One of the things that I've been hearing a lot is, okay, I'm on this journey. I'm planning my black set. I want to move abroad. I'm interested in your thoughts about, because, you know, fire is definitely a big part of your story as well as mine, what your thoughts are about Blacksit and even fire being the impetus to serve as that ability to leverage like geo-arbitrage, live somewhere else, get your American dream or whatever, however you want to language that in another land. I think it's like really exciting. And I think it's such a, a, a huge kind of key to the playbook of, of liberation. Before we hit record, we were kind of rambling and reflecting on some of the luminaries of, of the past. And so I, I specifically think about like Nina Simone and James Baldwin and like these just elite and unique and amazing people who we know living abroad or moving abroad was a part of their story. But then I fast forward and I think about like the generation prior to ours. I have a brother who's a little older and, um, you know, for them, sort of liberation and sort of cashing out, if you will, like no pun intended, but like cashing out of like this expensive and hustle and bustle life and moving down to Florida was like the goal, right? It was like, man, I'm going to take this big money that I was earning up in the Northeast or out West and I'm going to move to Florida like lots of retirees really and sort of live out the rest of my years there with sort of in cruise control. 
But because of our generation, especially like millennials who have this added exposure to traveling uh, internationally and in some cases studying abroad and spending like long stretches there, like many of us are not able to introduce a significantly wider set of possibilities. And so when you think about that and then when you think about um, how that might impact one's retirement date, it's very simple to see how actually like you can retire like in your 40s and 50s as opposed to continuing to live in a high cost of living environment or, or city and or country and, and sort of committing essentially to live the rest of your life working obsessively, which is what unfortunately so many of us do. Uh, and so it's really, really exciting. And I wish more of us had those comfort levels. But I also understand and I've, I've come to appreciate uh, our experience with travel because it, for a lot of people, is a bit of a barrier. And it's, it's just like such an unknown, right? Uh, even though like for me, it was something that I, you know, had the privilege of doing when I was young and even in my 20s studying abroad. So, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be able to navigate and sort of leave the country and come back and be like, all right, well, that wasn't nearly as confusing or scary as I thought it was. Um, but it's certainly something that we think about uh, for sure, uh, not even just for ourselves, but also as we think about the kind of world that we want our son to be able to to, to navigate, right? Like he's had the privilege of traveling uh, abroad a couple of times on family vacations. And so I think for us, the next level is being able to spend significant periods of time abroad and or living abroad. But I certainly think it is um, without question, like one of the, the, it needs to be a key or like one of the options that everyone should be incorporating into their wealth plan and their life plan because it it can have an incredible uh, impact on your your life and uh, your ability to stretch your money. This is where, to me, like stories with elders come into play because migration has always been a part of economic progress for mm-hmm. Black families, right? If you talk to your grandma, grandpa, they had to move. My grandmother was born in New Orleans on a sharecropper farm. And her dad was okay with the agreement until he wasn't, right? And so he packed up his family and put them in a truck. And overnight, they moved to Texas, which is where we, my mom and like where they ended up growing up. But even if you talk to families that live in Detroit, they came from Atlanta. They came from South Carolina. They came from all of these places because when you get squeezed... It's like, all right, well, I'm only going to take this for so long, right? That's the, that is the origins of a lot of our families, not saying all of them. But I think what we're seeing now is kind of the benefit and the side effect of a global economy and internet where it's like, all right, you're just going to squeeze me out the country. <laughs> well, let me see what else is out here in the world. And that's actually such an expansive way of thinking about our time here on this floating rock. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, we, we, we have access to all of it. And so why not try to take advantage of it to Julian's point, even if it accelerates your retirement date, or you're able to work abroad a couple of months a year in those moments, you can save enough money or invest enough money to change the trajectory of your wealth plan. And so to completely exclude it, because you might be a little scared, or you might have some apprehensions feels like a misstep that a lot of us are are making right now. When you think about that, either that first experience abroad or even your honeymoon, I know you both went to South Africa and that was transformative in a lot of ways. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and what it did for you? Because I think, you know, like I said, there's some people who have not even, don't even have a passport 
or just got it. Then there are those that have traveled on vacation and then those are actively planning their Blacksit. But I think being able to hear firsthand your own experience with travel, that would be really helpful. Our honeymoon, we spent two weeks in South Africa and we did that deliberately. One, because we just, we, we were at a point in our lives where we were just completely work obsessed. We had delayed our honeymoon uh, because we wanted to bang out some projects. And I think between our wedding and our honeymoon, between the two of us, we took six business trips because we were just so focused on our careers at that point. And we were really kind of bystanders of the financial independence movement. But we, and we knew that we were going to get to it, but we didn't quite get to it yet. But it really wasn't until we got to South Africa and we had several realizations there. But the one that I think is relevant for this part of our conversation is that I think it was the first time that we really felt rich. It was like, oh, I'm already rich. I already have more. Right. And granted, we were sort of well ahead and, and like we'd already paid off all our debt, but we spent two weeks abroad. It was paid months in advance. Um, we were, I mean, I think we coined the term luxury fatigue while we were there. It was like, I don't know that I can do another, like, I really just want like a sandwich. I'm (laughs) I'm good on the luxury. I will seat myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't pull my chair out. Don't do anything. And I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm I'm saying it to, to say that, um, you know, for all the people out there who feel like, you know, that that's the life and they could do that forever. Like you probably can't, like at some point you really are going to want to just go back to just eating, drinking and looking at regular things. But while we were there, you know, not just that, but it was also just like the spending power that you have, you know, just the idea of having US dollar. There was a moment where we tipped our waiter. We were staying at like the best hotel in Johannesburg and um, we tipped our waiter like straight cash. And you would have thought that like, you know, you could just see like the astonishment in his face. And I think at that point they might've thought we were like celebrities or something, but like we had, we had so much money and it was like, I really want to like tip these guys because they're doing such an amazing job of like helping us heal and transition from that long flight. Mm -hmm. And like, we just had such a great experience. And again, I know this sounds like, egotistical, but I'm sharing it to say that like, it was a very eye-opening moment of like, just on the power of currency exchange, right? Like just that alone. Cause like we started looking up homes and you were like, oh my God. So we could actually live here if we wanted to. Like, and it's not to say that things would be perfect. South Africa certainly has its challenges, but what it did, like actually setting foot there, actually spending over a week there in like slow travel and meeting people, it really made uh, the possibilities seem much more real. And so it wasn't just something that you see other people doing. It kind of felt like it was something that we could do. And it's, it was so empowering to kind of have that in the back of your minds. And I think it's just one of those things like you can't really tell someone about it. You kind of have to see it and experience it. Obviously you can crunch some numbers uh, that helps a little bit, but you got to really be there to experience it. So that was one of the most transformative travel experiences that we had. And I think knowing that that was like a card that we could play at any point really changed the way that we viewed our careers. It changed the way that we viewed our, our investing strategy, our entrepreneurial interests and so on. Um, and, and again, t- 
today, it's still something that we're mindful of. You know, we're dealing with a, a couple things right now, right? <laughs> Inflation, uh, Europe is having its time currency-wise, war-wise. We have a student loan crisis still in the what COVID-19, even though we're going to be having this air in 2023. <laughs> like yeah. COVID-19. Um, <laughs> we've got a social security crisis, right? That has yes. been talked about for decades, as exactly. well as an impending recession. And mm-hmm. so there are people who have said, oh, okay, I want to do this. Or yeah, I can buy into this 15-year career, or I can buy into FIRE, or I can buy into moving abroad. But oh my gosh, all these things are going on. Ostrich (laughs) behavior, right? Like put my head down in the sand. And not to mention one that I left out that is impacting me as well, is the sandwich generation. Mm -hmm. I have a son that's in college. I have a daughter that's about to go to college. I have an elderly parent that is in Florida and I'm about to go to Portugal right? Mm -hmm. and being able to reconcile these familial ties and obligations, yet also being able to, you know, pursue something that's been on my heart for many years. So if there's any either personal experience or advice that you could share to help those that are in this space of trying to reconcile or grapple with all of this, this confluence of issues, that would be great. Ooh, yeah, it's a big question. And I think a lot of it boils down to how we are conditioned in the Western world to always need a conclusive answer, to always think in terms of binary, either this or that extreme. No room or or tolerance for the nuance, for the gray areas versus in other cultures. It's like, yeah, that's life. Like all of that is happening at the same time, always has been, mm-hmm. not new, not unique to your generation. <laughs> like there have always been wars, always been pandemics, always been things that are larger than us happening. And there are a couple of ways to respond to that. Most of us, if you're Black American, were taught to lean onto religion understand that things happen in mysterious ways. And there wasn't really a pragmatic approach to that type of ideology, right? You just taught to just like have this blind faith. And this is not disrespectful to anybody, you know, who who does practice a religion, but like you were taught to have this. And now like, that's what you depend on, that it's just all going to work out in the end. But learning to embrace a different type of mindset, one that doesn't necessarily get promoted or advocated for in the Western world for a number of reasons, mostly because of our capitalist economic system and our racist undertones, but (laughs) learning to embrace a different world, a different type of thinking where you understand paradox, you understand that two things can be true at the same time, although they seem to contradict each other. So it can be true that you have an elderly parent in Florida that you really want to get to as soon as possible, while it is also true that the best thing for you to do to support that elderly parent is to move further away, focus on your mental health, so that you, when you come, you can be fully present. Those are both true, right? And so learning how to hold space for that in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, in your goal setting is something that a lot of us are learning to do through therapy is one approach. But, you know, honestly, therapy is not accessible to everyone. And I don't want to jump on the bandwagon that says 
everybody should have a therapist. Everybody should be, because there's not enough therapists, one, that know how to handle what we don't going through. And it's, it's costly. It's not included in health insurance. So therapy is one way, but there are other ways to tap into that side of your brain naturally just by studying other cultures. There's mindfulness, there's yoga, there's becoming one with nature, but you really have to retrain your brain to think differently, to think outside of the way the Western world wants you to think about what's happening globally, the way the media has shaped the narrative around what could happen to you if you don't do these you know, four things. You have to kind of unplug from all of that to clear up your head, to kind of zoom out and see that this is I don't want to say normal because then people are going to be like, this is not normal. But it very much, it very much is in the historical sense. Like if, even if you go back 40, 50 years, the stuff that was considered normal in this country where women couldn't even get a credit card without a man or black people couldn't even go through the front door. Like we've lived through all of that. And so this is just another chapter of it. And in order to keep moving forward, you got to like get out of the middle of it and and really take on this more expansive mindset. Yeah, we think uh, quite often about like what separates us from a lot of the people that we know who we know may have had the same opportunities to do some of the things that we've done, but just chose not to. And we can obviously talk about things like courage or, you know, safety nets. But I also think it's at some point these things boil down to a decision. It's like, what do you decide to do with the evidence that's been laid before you, right? And for us, we decide to believe, to say, you know what, this ain't it. Um, and here's why. Uh, and it's not to ignore other sets of data or other rationales. But the reality is, if you're looking for a reason not to go, not to make the jump, you're going to find it. And for us, we were looking for reasons to like live the lives that we were trying to live, to truly design the life for ourselves and our, and, and, and our son. Um, and yes, that does create some complexities. Yes, that means that we might not be able to honor some of the older commitments that we may have had, but that's growth, right? And I think that's one of the things that a lot of us really struggle with. It's it's like we really want, we want the perfect solution. We want the frictionless yeah. decision we want the easy path. We want the cost free, all of those things. And like that has never existed. No. Um, and so if that is where you're placing the bar, there's really nothing that I can tell you. And then the second thing that I can say is as smart and as experienced as we are, I actually think one of the greatest motivators is to simply just live by example, yeah. right? Because I've beaten my head uh, against many walls <laughs> trying <laughs> to convince family to do things. And I'm telling you, decades pass. Nothing happens. Relationships kind of soften. People get a little bit more distant. And then 15 years later, they start talking to you about doing something. I'm like, you don't remember when I told you to do that 15 years ago? <laughs> but it's not until they actually see you, right? And this is, I think, just part of human nature. People were so afraid. They've got to know that if I decide to change, what will my life look like? Where our brains are always looking for like, ridiculous levels of certainty, right? And so for us, one of the most powerful things that we can do is simply live by example. And when you do that, you are indirectly letting people know that, all right, if I spend less money than I earn and invest that money instead, like they did, these are the types of options that might be available to me. Just that alone is far more powerful than any book, any webinar, any talk, anything that I can do, because that's connecting with people on a human level. And so I would say for the people who are listening that are on the fence and have everything that it takes to do it, your actions sort of speak much louder than words. 
And don't worry about all the people that you haven't been able to convince. Your ability to move forward is going to be the thing that pulls those people along. Or even then, they may still decide that it's just not for them. And that's okay, too. Yeah, I think it's facing your fear and doing it anyway. And it'll all work out in the end. If you had to pick a place that you could move to, slow travel to, where would that be? For me, it's Mexico. It's a place that I'm, I've journeyed to and I'm curious about, but I'm really drawn to spaces where Indigenous people still are. I just think that the culture and the lessons around community are what my soul is like missing right now. And so that would be my starting place. I don't know that that would be the end, but like that's where I would go to just kind of like really just zap my brain <laughs> into a new way of of being through immersion and and then would have a far more open mindset towards the rest of the globe. I'll go right back to South Africa. We've had the good fortune of traveling to a good handful of countries, not nearly as much as I would like, but um, but we had such an amazing time there. And it was really just something about being surrounded by our people in both Joburg yeah. and Cape Town. It was great. That was really, really uh, incredible. And um, so, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed myself there. I could spend a good couple of years there yeah. if, I, if, I, if I had to, or if I had the choice. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, I'll be seeing y'all in these international streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. as we close, where can people find you? You can find us online at richandregular.com. And then we also have the Rich and Regular handle on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube, and then you can purchase cashing out anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Blacks of Global podcast. Of course, you shared some wonderful gems and inspiration that definitely has helped me and I know has inspired someone listening. And so I definitely encourage people connect with Rich and Regular, follow them on YouTube listen to the podcast, grab your copy of the book. You will be better for it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Blacksit Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.